It's May 6, 2023. Welcome to the Room Now podcast. Hi, I'm Jack Cush with Room Now. This week and next week and the week after, we're doing replays from Room Now Live 2023 held in March, but two months ago. And we're rolling out a lot of the content, all the individual lectures, the panel discussions, all these are going to be available as videos and audio podcasts of those same uh, sessions. Uh, you'll see also going on this week Q&A and questions from the audience that happened during each of the sessions that we had. Um, and then you're going to see um, you know, some of the tweets uh, and some of the articles that were written uh, during this, these sessions. I think you're going to find it really um, a, a, an interesting replay. So the schedule that we have set up last week, this past week, we did a, a replay of the rheumatoid arthritis revolution in RA therapy that I'm going to talk about on this podcast. Next week, we're going to be talking about the management of psoriatic arthritis. That's going to be on Tuesday, the 9th of May. You can register the link. There's going to be a link at the end of this podcast that you can register at. The week after the 16th, uh, we're going to be doing the vasculitis session. The following week is going to be spondoarthritis, and the last week is going to be another session on rheumatoid arthritis. I think you're going to find these really interesting. Um, so I'm going to begin by um, telling you to look at one of the feature articles from this week. Um, I'm sorry, one of the feature videos from this week. It's a QD clinic, but instead of discussing cases, I actually address some 20-something questions from the audience uh, about RA, specifically about early RA, about JAK inhibitor therapy, and also about the pathogenesis of RA. I think you'll find that really quite informative. So um, one of the three sessions that we had was given by Dr. Mike Brenner uh, from Harvard. Um, Michael is really um, a basic scientist uh, who works in the rheumatology space and for years has done great research about uh, fibroblasts, um, these stromal cells that are really integral in um, the development of synovitis and panis in, in RA patients. And he reviewed a lot of the therapies that we currently use and, you know, gave good rationale for why they work, you know, inhibition of TNF, IL-1, uh, IL-6, and but showed that um, while they do much to control inflammation um, through those cytokine-specific mechanisms, they don't really address the problem of what's going on with the fibroblasts. And fibroblasts can be driven by many, many different cytokines and other mediators um, like LIF and notch uh, proteins and cadherins also important. The idea is that there are going to be new targets for fibroblasts. And when you look at patients who don't respond, that usually what's predominating in the synovium of those patients are these fibroblast-related uh, genes. Uh, it was really a really excellent lecture. You can find his individual lecture on our website and on our YouTube channel, but also it's part of the replay of Tuesday Night Rheumatology that we did this week. Also, in Tuesday Night Rheumatology, we did these 
Um, those lectures were 25, 30 minute lectures that we gave you roughly 15 minute excerpts of and then had Q&A at the end. So one of the talks was from Dr. Kevin Dean at the, uh, from the University of Colorado where he talked about, about preclinical RA and, and what to do. So one of the takeaways uh, from his talk was that uh, there's good news and there's bad news. So looks like the treatment with methotrexate in early CCV positive RA patients didn't work as far as preventing RA, but did work as far as improving individual parameters like the pain score and the hack score. And, 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 and it was sort of a mixed message. But the bad news was he presented the results of the STOP RA trial, a head-to-head trial of patients with, uh, that were basically CCP positive and, um, and they either received placebo or hydroxychloroquine and really showed no benefit, which is a real problem for many of us. We're hoping that you know, safe, effective therapy like hydroxychloroquine may be helpful in that preclinical RA population. It was really quite, um, quite impressive uh, to, to see that <laughs> these didn't work. So the question is, how are we going to treat preclinical RA at this point? Well, he did show good data that the drivers of preclinical RA and the autoimmune state that uh, typifies that um, are, you know, environmental pollutants, smoking, um, uh, obesity. But it, so ultimately, if you have an at-risk population, arthralgias, no synovitis, uh, CCV positive, the best thing you can do is lifestyle modification. You know, stop smoking, send them to... Uh, whatever you have to do to get them to stop smoking, lose weight, you know, get good control of, you know, dental health um, and go on an anti-inflammatory diet and also, you know, clean up any lung inflammation because that could might that might be the first site of, of what goes wrong in those preclinical RA patients. But a heavy pitch by Dr. Dean for lifestyle modification. Um, and then Stan Cohen gave a great session on the multiple new indications for JAK inhibitors uh, beyond RA and reviewed the safety data on that. And that's worth, worth taking a look at as well. Uh, new this week was uh, an announcement from the ACR that ACR 2023, the convergence meeting, is going to go back to the old format. There's going to be a full, normal poster hall. It's going to be the same duration of meeting like it's always been, three and a half days. So there's a fourth day. Uh, and I think it's, it's going to be held this year in San Diego, November 10 through 15. And they're starting to take registrations and whatnot. So uh, last year was sort of like a transition year, getting out of COVID, getting, uh, getting away from the, the hybrid or the virtual only meetings. Um, this is going to be a hybrid meeting as well. Um, but the the format is going to bring back those those two things: the length of the meeting and the poster hall. I think that will be popular with many. Uh, this week, a, a claims analysis from uh, a Korean uh, insurance database uh, compared uh, RA patients um, uh, to a population, and specifically, they looked at seropositive. Uh, rheumatoid factor, CCP positive RA patients like 39,000 compared to 54,000, 55,000 normal controls. And they showed 
with follow-up of that of these populations over a four to five year period, um, they saw Parkinson's develop in 290 RA patients. So when they did the math on this, that there was a, uh, a hazard ratio of nearly two, um, actually it was 1.7 in um, R, if R, uh, as far as the risk of an RA patient developing Parkinson's. I find that a little surprising. They back up their data by saying that if you just looked at only seropositive compared to seronegative, the number was even higher, uh, and that the association with RA and Parkinson's was not seen in seronegative RA. What does this mean? I don't really know. I, I've had tons of RA patients over the years. The number I've had who have Parkinson's is almost n- not even memorable. So... Is this like fishing per, for a p-value here? Uh, the, the idea is that uh, why they did this analysis is they say that inflammatory diseases are thought to increase the risk of Parkinson's. And so what better large inflammatory population than RA? So they proved this from a statistical um, significance standpoint, especially for seropositives. I don't know that they've really helped us. Um, I'd be interested in hearing what you think. An analysis of of hip replacement surgery from a large um, registry of this. And this looks at, uh, it was a five-year analysis, patients getting hip replacements for RA, PSA, OA, spondylitis. Looked at uh, those who were on TNF inhibitors perioperatively, and that includes during surgery, versus those who stopped their TNF inhibitors prior to surgery. And they saw an no difference in outcomes as far as failure, loosening, infections, uh, etc. Also, revision rates were uh, not any different if you were um, on a TNF inhibitor, 2.5%, than if you were on a DMARD, 3%. It was lower if you had osteoarthritis. It was, it was osteoarthritis of the hip that was 0.8%. So this is a um, data in support of the idea that you don't need to necessarily stop all therapies when someone has surgery. You know, the ACR guidelines basically say you should hold a TNF inhibitor for one dosing interval um, based on the duration of effect of that TNF inhibitor. But there's plenty of data that says you don't stop DMARDs. Right, that you continue the methotrexate, you continue leflunamide and whatnot. And of course, this drives the orthopedist a little crazy. But this is a guideline from the ACR and the, I think it's called AHKS, the, um, the Orthopedic Hip and Knee Society. And uh, it's based on evidence, based on expert opinion. Uh, an analysis of physician payments is that linked to what physicians do um, in real life? So here they looked at um, from a, you know available data they have on who gets what money from who. They categorized whether the physician received no marketing money versus less than 100, but more than one or more than 100. And then they saw if that correlated with the use of uh, hyaluronic acid injections. So this would have been marketing payments from companies making hyaluronic acid products. And then does that influence the actual prescribing? And it did. You know, I think they had like 20,000 physicians, 
41% in this analysis had given some hyaluronic injection. The odds of, of giving an injection increased significantly with payment. So no uh, payment uh, was the referent. And if you received less than 100, your odds went up twofold. If you received more than 100, in, and that means like bringing lunch to your office or you being an advisor or whatever. But more than 100, it was like 3.3 uh, increased odds. So uh, overall, you were either 13 or 21% more likely to uh, prescribe hyaluronic acid if you had received payments from a pharmaceutical company. Yeah, that is a conflict, isn't it? Um, lastly, we got a report about um, the use of uh, cannabis, marijuana, in cancer patients. Um, about half the patients were uh, mostly colon, breast, lung. Um, and and this was so, uh, sort of just... Uh, an open label analysis is not really good science. No <laughs> cannabis, THC, CBD oil for that matter. None of this research is really well done. But it does back up my impression that um, THC and um, cannabis um, really do make big uh, uh, improvements in pain uh, and sleep. And that's what they looked at in this study. They showed... Um, major improvements in uh, overall pain, um, sleep quality, and cognitive function, which probably reflects sleep quality, but no change in quality of life. Again, uh, I th we really need to see better research on um, cannabis going forward, because right now, your best advice is coming from some guy named Paco, and he's not Paco the rheumatologist. So I had an article this week also on... Uh, prophylaxis uh, uh, and its need in patients who have uh, PJP, pneumocystis, pneumonia infections. Um, this was a uh, retrospective study from three um, Korean uh, databases over a 12-year period. They found 818 rituximab-treated patients, uh, half of whom had received prophylaxis with trimethoprim sulfonethoxazole. Overall, they found um, that there were 11 cases of PJP um, and, uh, and a surprising high mortality rate of 64%. What they saw in their analysis uh, was that glucocorticoids and rituximab drive risk of PJP, but it's really the glucocorticoids more so than anything else especially if the steroid use is greater than 30 milligrams per day of prednisone equivalents um, during the four weeks, uh, during the rituximab and for the four weeks after, that really drives risk. Those are the people who really do need PJP prophylaxis. They did show that um, uh, the rituximab patients also had um, a higher risk and, and were going to benefit with a reduction in risk by receiving uh, Bactrim, trimethoprim, sulfamethoxazole. So, um, but the numbers on on the steroids, it was like uh, the incidence of PJP per 100 patient years was eight. Uh, if you're on high dose steroids, and if you weren't on steroids, it was 0 0.4. So that's a you know big time you know almost 20 fold higher risk if you're on the steroids. Anyway, that's it for this week's podcast. Um, be sure to check out the. Uh, 
Room Now Live 2023 replays. This week, all about rheumatoid arthritis. Next week, all about psoriatic arthritis. Um, specifically, we'll be covering the lectures of Laura Coates on remission in psoriatic arthritis, Eric Ruderman and his lecture on jack inhibitor use in psoriatic arthritis, and lastly, pregnancy in psoriatic arthritis from Dr. Christina Chambers from the Otis database in UCSD. Um, thanks to Avvi, the sponsor of these two weeks, these two sessions on RA and PSA, and their uh, support of uh, Room Now Live. Tune in next week. Take care.